Thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I was having a little moment over there where Jeff was talking about um, reading the Bible and going to the bathroom. Uh, that many, many years ago, when Jeff was an intern for me, when he was 20 years old, he used to speak about every, every six weeks for me. And I would, that, that week that he would speak, I would just like, oh, don't say anything inappropriate. Don't, you know, just like, Jeff, come on, make it through a service without doing something that is going to ruin the service or embarrass me or embarrass yourself. And then I thought, how things have changed. Now, I speak here about every six weeks, and that's his prayer for me, you know, that the old guy doesn't cuss or do something inappropriate or whatever. It's, it's just kind of fun to see that, that cycle of life. And as I've told you guys many times before, there is very few things that make me as proud of being a, a follower of Jesus and a fan of Jeff McGuire than coming here and this being my home church and getting to watch him love and lead us. Uh, now, this is like your or third Christmas or whatever, it's just, it's, it's awesome. So it's so fun for, for me to be here. And, uh, and we are in a series called Celebrate Different or Celebrate Differently or Differently Celebrate. I can never remember what the series is called, but uh, I do know it's on Advent. And Advent is really the four weeks before Christmas in the Christmas calendar. And the last few years, uh, when I have had an opportunity to share during this time, I have told you this story that I will re repeat that as a child growing up, Christmas was not very good for me. For many years, I suffered. And the reason that I suffered is because my parents named their firstborn Noel. Noel. So imagine what this is like as a child growing up that Christmas hits and everybody's singing songs about my sister. Everybody loves my sister. It's like you had to say, you know, if you entered our house in December, it's, hi, Noel, you bow and give her a gift. And here's what's weird is that she wasn't even born in December. I was born, she was born in like November. I don't even care anymore. Uh, but I, I was born December 30th, five days after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I got Doug. <laughs> no, that's what I got. Nothing, I mean, I, not that I wanted Emmanuel. Uh, you know, I'd have taken Joseph. I'd have settled for Rudolph. You know, anything, but Doug, which we know is short for what? Doug Less. You know what they were saying? Noel, could we not have dug you any less? So that's why Christmas was, was rough. And, and then everybody loved my little sister, second favorite, because she was the baby. And everybody loved Bethlehem. Uh, so here's the deal. As an adult... I have, I have learned to deal with not being the favorite. I have learned, therapy is very helpful with that. I'm told to look in the mirror and just say, you repeat, you are worth it, you are worth it, you are worth it, you know, that type of thing. But as an adult, really, Christmas is, um, Christmas is really different for me. It went from something I didn't like because I never felt like I was good enough to something, the season that it, it draws me into... I don't, see if you're like this. It draws me into this deep reflection time. I think more deeply during the Advent season than any time of, of the year. I think deeply, one, because we're at the end of the year and you think back over the year and you think about the, the missed opportunities, you think about the regrets, you think about the joys and the victories. Does anybody here think about how fast the year went? Anybody with me on that? 
Yeah, if you just raise your hand, you're technically called old. Because that's what, that's what they say old people do. I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying what they say. Young, young people don't think, oh, it went by fast. If you think it went by fast, you're old. Okay, I'm just, I, I don't make things up. I just teach the truth. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the year, I also think about during the season, I think more deeply because of the songs. We've heard songs the last few weeks that we don't hear all year long. And they're beautiful songs. Songs we, some we just, we sang. And, and they, they make you think. And you don't hear them for 11 months or so. And so then you think more deeply. And even, there's weird Christmas songs. You know, the, when you think about the nine ladies dancing and the ten lords of leaping. Which I get. I mean, if I was a lord, I'd want to leap too. But, um, you know. Still kind of caught off guard by eight maids of milking and why that's attractive. But uh, you think about the songs and then the Christmas Eve service. Raise your hand if you've been to a Christmas Eve service here. Yeah, oh my. You, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's, you know, people kind of, they, they just have a different posture. They dress a little different. They, um, they walk in with excitement. There is excitement. We're at this verge of a celebration. By the way, this is a little bit of an aside. There's two times a year when people, everybody wants to be invited to something all the time, okay, all the time. But there's two times a year where people are open to be invited to church, Christmas and Easter. And it's amazing to me how many people go through life without ever having been invited. They can reject you, who cares? But, but extend an invitation because there's something about that Christmas Eve service that does something for my soul that doesn't happen during the other 52 weeks of the year. But as I began to think about Advent and Christmas season, here's what I thought about. Here's the term that came to my mind. Christmas is an interruption. It is. It's, it's an interruption. Go, go ahead and grab your outline if you would. You'll see at the, the top there. Or you can walk through if you want to. If you don't, if you have your Bible, you can read there. We got notes on the screen, the whole bit. But um, I view Christmas as an interruption. That it is an interruption to my natural flow of life. But as I've just spent minutes telling you, it's a great interruption for me because it gets me to think more deeply about who God is and what Christmas is all about. I see it as a positive interruption. Now, I know there are some of you who are like, okay, Doug, I'm not there yet. It's not positive to me. It's stressful. I got all the stuff to do. We haven't got our tree yet. The lights are still on from last year, uh, they need to be plugged in, there's activities and parties, and it's just, it, it's, I don't even know the politically correct way to address people anymore, is it happy holidays, is it merry mazel tov, cool Kwanzaa, may the forest be with you, I mean, you know, there's all this stuff that is stressful, I get that, I also get that this is the time of the year for many, where this is the most lonely people feel all year long. That the sentimentality of Christmas affects you in a different way. You watch TV and you see that, you know, all loving people buy people jewelry and new cars. Okay, because that's what we're going to. And, and for some, nobody, you know, in your life right now, nobody's buying you either uh, of that. And it triggers these lonely feelings. I, I, I get it. So for everybody, Christmas is not a great interruption. As a matter of fact, I was thinking, think about for Mary and Joseph. Imagine the interruption of Mary and Joseph. Let's be reminded of this interruption. It's in Matthew chapter 1, what I'll be reading. You can see it on the screen. It's, it says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, 
She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Talk about an interruption. Okay, that was, that was an amazing interruption. Now, this would be scandalous today in the 21st century, but during that time in the Jewish culture, this was, this was unbelievable because they were engaged, but engagement period is different than engagement period now. And in Jewish culture, what would happen is a, is a male would live with his family and he would, he would journey to this girl's house and he would actually not propose to her, but what he would do is he would negotiate a bride price with the girl's father. And once they would agree on whatever that bride price would be, a marriage covenant was established. And that covenant was sealed by the woman, the girl, drinking from a, a cup of wine. And she would drink from a cup of wine, serve by the male prospect, and once she would drink from the cup of wine, legally they were married. Now, they didn't consummate the marriage. That just began the engagement period, and in that culture, the only way that engagement period could be ended would be by divorce. Then after the cup was drank, the male would go back to his home. He would build a home, usually on his father's property, to support his future wife she would stay at her house I don't know what she would do practice writing her new last name you know something like that and then and then the he would return they would have the marriage ceremony and then the marriage would be consummated so that's this whole culture that's going around this this wild story of Mary and Joseph having plans having dreams having a future and boom there's this great interruption and this great interruption is Jesus. Now, you got to imagine that Mary and Joseph did not feel like this was a great interruption. It actually took them years to, to understand that the birth of Jesus was God's great interruption. It was his interruption of how he shouted to humanity, I love you. That's what Christmas is. You know, if you forget everything that I say today and if all you walk out with that, that's a win. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is God shouting to you, I love you. See, 2,000 years later, that is the message. So why is Christmas so important? Because it's a reminder of God's love for you. The divine interruption. When the deity, when all the deity burst into humanity as a baby, shouting, I, I love you. I want you to think about it like this. I want you to think of Christmas, the great interruption, as one end of an I love you bookend. Okay, so you know what a bookend is. So here's one end of the bookend, and one end of the bookend says, I love you. It's Christmas. It's the birth. We know John 3.16. Look up on the screen. It says, for this is how God loved the world... 
He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So that's one end of the bookend is John 3, 16, 17. The other end of the bookend is one we've studied you know, a few couple months back in, in Romans chapter 5. It says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, I realize I read those fast, but if you, ha- you see what they have in common is they have love in common. Birth, God sent his son. Death, God showed his great love for us in that Christ died for us. So go to the screen here and look at this. So you've got the birth of Jesus, one end of the bookend. You've got the death of Jesus, the resurrection, the other end of the bookend. And in the middle, all you have about Jesus is, is love. And so the question is, where do you live? Okay, where, where, is, where do you live? Because life works best when you and I live within that, that bookends. As people of faith, and I'm not assuming everybody has faith, but those of us who have faith, faith people of faith, these are, the, these are the scriptures that need to be tattooed on our hearts. Because life works best when you and I live within the bookend of that love, that he came and that he died for me. See, without it, here's what we do. We drift. We drift outside, and we actually begin to go through life looking for what I call love replacements. We look for love in a bunch of different places to fill that emptiness that we have that you and I were created to be filled by God. And this idea that God loves you. You know, when I was given this message and there's, you know, peace and hope and love and joy, I was like, don't give me love. Anything but love, Jeff. Anything but love. You know, because what do you say? What do you say different about love? What do you say new about love? Because for some of you, you have heard this thousands of times, that God loves you. And here's what happens. It becomes a platitude. It's almost poetic. It's like this poetic platitude that actually is not, it's not personal. It's not personal. You've heard it so many times that it's more of a, a bumper sticker or a poem. And let's be honest. We've taken this word love and we have dumbed it down. We've neutered love because we love everything, don't we? We love Starbucks, and, and we love salted caramel, and we, I love corn on the cob, uh, uh, UFC, New York City, my family. I love puppies as long as they're not at my house. I love when people buy my books. Somebody told me today they bought one of my books. I, I don't even care if you read it. I just, you know, like when you, you buy it. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that we, we love. You look at somebody's Twitter account. And it's like, I love CrossFit, Lululemon, God, and taking selfies. I mean, you know, it's just like, you know, God is in the midst of Lululemon and, and, and selfies. And we dumb down love, and yet we're so desperate for love. I don't, I don't have to convince any of you that we live in a love-starved world. Our world is starving for love. I mean, all we got to look last couple weeks, just down the freeway. I mean, you turn on the news any day, you're going to see examples of a loved, starved world. And the people who are growing up, you know, I think of these kids that are growing up. Kids are not growing up in this world 
getting better and sweeter. No. They're growing up in this love-starved world where they're getting bitter and more violent. And so what's the answer? And what's the answer to a love-starved world? Is, is Congress going to legislate an answer for us? Is Donald Trump going to bring about a new awakening? <laughs> the Bible boldly proclaims that there is only one love in the universe that has what it takes to meet this love-starved need. And friends, that love came at Christmas. And I don't know what hearing about God's love does for you or where it sits with you, but let me do this. Let me take this concept of God's love and let me just park it over here just for a second. We're, we'll come back to this in a second because I'm not sure where it hits you, but I am sure of something about you. Okay, so I want to tell you something I know about every one of you. Regardless of where you are spiritually, and there are people here, you're very spiritual, and there are people here who you were scared to walk in the church because you thought it might come down. Okay, and there's, there's everyone in between. So I don't care where you are spiritually. I don't care what you have financially. I don't care where you come from culturally. Here's what I know about you. It's global. It's you and I share some of the deepest, deepest needs of our life. I put them in your notes. They're these needs right, right here. You and I have a need to be wanted. We have a need to belong. And we have a need to have meaning. Universal. It's not American needs. These are global universal needs. We have a need to be wanted, to belong, and to have meaning. That's what I know about you. And you could argue that if you want. Actually, you, you could, but you'd be totally wrong. And if you and I were to sit knee to knee, eye to eye, and just share a little eggnog, and you were to ask about my life, here's what you would find out about Doug Fields. That I have a need to be wanted. I want to be known. Um, I want to be known and I want to be loved. Even after you know all my faults and failures and sins and warts, I have this, this desire to be wanted, fully known and fully loved. Now raise your hand if you can identify with that. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. I also have a, a deep desire and need to belong. I want to be a part of a community. I don't want to do life alone. I want somebody to know when I'm there and when, I'm, when I've missed. Whether it be in a faith community, I want to belong to a church, a bunch of people. Although in churches there are weird people. But I still want to belong to that. That's why people join life groups and small groups and CrossFit groups and cults. Some of you are like CrossFit and cult, same thing. But you know, whatever. It, it's they, they don't want to do life alone. Raise your hand if that describes you. Let me see. You don't want to do life alone. Yeah. And some of you who are doing life alone, that's why you're miserable. And what else you'd find out about me is I want my life to have meaning. I want to count for something. I, I just don't want to take up space. I don't want to be a number amongst 7 billion people. I don't want to wake up every day and go to a job that I hate and work that job for many years so I can retire and play golf. Okay, that sounds like hell to me. But I want my life to count. Whatever that little niche in the world is, I want to have meaning and make a difference. Raise your hand if you identify with that. Absolutely. And here's what some of us are doing. We are running around in life, and we're trying to get those three deepest needs met by other humans. And in doing so, we're, we're promoting ourselves, we're positioning, we're posturing, 
we're pretending in order that other people would give us that meaning. And for those of you who are people of faith, those of us that are people of faith, we have a core belief. And our core belief is this, that there is a spiritual dimension to our lives. We are not just physical beings, we are also spiritual beings as well. And in that spirit, as a spiritual being, I believe that God, the God that came to humanity is Jesus. That God can meet those deepest needs. And Christmas is the on-ramp for which those needs can be met. And as I have conversations with people, here's what they say. Well, Doug, I realize that, you know, I'm a spiritual being, but this whole God, I mean... How can, how can God love me like you talk about? How can God love me when there's so many people to love? I mean, how can God love you as if there's only one person to love? And that's a great question. You're not going to love my answer. Because <laughs> I don't know. Okay? I, I don't know the answer. I don't know how he can love you at the same time while loving me. I'm selfish enough to think that he should love me more then he loves you, okay, but uh, he, he's, he's God. And here's the deal. If God's power is limited to my intellect, now let's put it you. If God's power is limited to your intellect, because you're smarter than me, okay, if God's power is limited to your intellect, he's a very small God. And that's why the scriptures say in Romans eleven thirty four, God's wisdom and knowledge have no end. No one can explain the things God decides or understand his ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. So friends, just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. I could have said to my daughter when she was three, Hey, sweetheart, do you know six to the second power is 36? Can you explain that to me? And she wouldn't have been able to, I mean, this is a kid who couldn't explain to me how chiclets wound up in her nose. All right? So, no, she, she wouldn't have, have got that. But that doesn't mean the truth exists. Now, if I could show you an example of how God knows an individual in every crowd, would you be interested in that? It's not rhetorical, so let me, let me say that again. If, if I could show you, okay, this is the exciting point, okay? Wake up. If I could show you how God sees an individual in every crowd, would you be interested? Yeah. All right, good. I'm glad you said that, or we'd have closed in prayer real quickly. Because um, I want to show you just one. I'm just going to show you one. I want to show you one display of God's heart for you. And you might say, well, Doug, how, how can you, okay, how can you tell me what God's heart for me is? Because when God was born, when God became human as Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus became the media of God. Jesus became the television. Jesus became the display of God. Some of you know Colossians 1.15. Is that Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Here's a paraphrase of that. I like this. We look at the Son, Jesus, and we see God who cannot be seen. We look at the Son and we see God's original purpose in everything we created. 
So what we're saying here is this, that when you look at Jesus, you get God. So if you want to know what God thinks about you, you just look at Jesus. And how did Jesus treat people? How did Jesus interact? Because I tell my, people, my friends all the time, I say, just look after, try, if, if you're curious, don't study Christianity. Who even knows what that is anymore? Study Jesus. Look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. See what Jesus did, because Jesus is God. Okay? So if you have your Bibles and you want to, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we actually find Jesus on a, a very, very busy day. And on this day, Jesus earlier had met this madman. This madman is um, demon-possessed. And Jesus meets him, and he casts the demons out of the madman into a bunch of pigs, which is where we get the term deviled ham from. And the crowd said, yeah, I get it. And so then Jesus, after doing the, the devil ham thing, he gets in a boat, goes to the other, other side of the lake. As soon as he gets out of the boat, he's met by a beggar. Now, this beggar is not a transient. This beggar is actually a high-ranking religious official by the name of Jairus. And Jairus is begging Jesus that Jesus would come and heal his, his daughter. Okay? That's where we get the, the scene. Jesus says, yes, they're walking on their way to make a house call. The Bible tells us that every time Jesus went somewhere, he drew a crowd. So now Jesus is walking to Jairus' house. There's a crowd of people around, and here's where we pick up in verse 24. When Jesus went with him, Jairus, and all the people followed, crowding around him, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Now, we don't know much about this woman other than the fact that she was an unlovely social outcast. How can I say that? That doesn't describe that. Well, in that culture at the time, anybody who had any type of disease that couldn't be cured, any type of bleed, especially a disease that was, was, uh, involved blood, they would be called ceremonially unclean. And what that means is they could not go to the synagogue. And the synagogue was not just a place of worship. Synagogue was a, uh, a social center. It was the way of life. It's where everyone went not only to worship but to connect with others. And for 12 years, people could not touch her or they would have been seen as, as unclean. So here you've got this woman for 12 years. Hasn't been touched. Hasn't been hugged. Chances are hasn't even been acknowledged, no one there to dry away her, her tears, living with this uh, desperate shame. And it says in verse 27, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him and through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. I love that phrase, by the way. Go, go back up. Go back up. Uh, for she thought to herself. Today, uh, this week, this popped out like it's never popped out to me before. I thought, she thought to herself. And it just got me thinking about how many times she must have thought to herself. How many times you've thought to yourself. How many times I've thought to myself. Self lies. 
lies that we've created about ourselves that have paralyzed us. That I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable enough. Nobody, nobody likes me. My past is so bad. And she, what I love about this scripture is she thought to herself and then she acted in faith. This time she didn't allow those fears to paralyze her. Those self-induced lies. She responds in faith. Verse 29. So she touches him. Immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? This is one of my favorite statements in this whole event. Because you can just kind of see Jesus stopping. Who touched me? And you can almost imagine the disciples going, really? Really, you're going to ask us that? We're, we're going to explain crowd dynamics to the guy who, you know, who, who, who uh, uh, draws a crowd? Who touched you? What a duh. I mean... What an interesting, you know, question, God in the flesh. You know, no, I, you know, I can imagine Peter going, well, I tried to trip Andrew, and maybe Andrew fell into your robe. I, you know, I'm not, exactly, I'm not exactly sure. But here's what I love about God in the flesh. Look at verse 32. But he kept on looking around. That's a statement of love. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Now, Pause with me here to imagine what must be happening in the, the mind of Jairus. Those of you who are a mom or a dad, why are we stopping? My daughter, my daughter is dying. You're, 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 stopping, you're stopping this whole thing, and I'm more important. I'm a high-ranking religious official. I'm more important than that, 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 that person. But right here, Jesus displays a truth that I want you to capture, because when you look at Jesus, you see the heart of God. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. And he displays a powerful truth about God's character, and it's this. That he has the leisure of heart to care for one while still caring for others. That if you read to the end, you see that he cares for Jairus. But in that moment, God's character, his ability, his deity has the power to care for you. While he cares for me. He has the power to love you while he loves me. That Jesus can love you as if there was only one to love. Verse 33. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, that word daughter is the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's the only time Jesus uses this phrase. And what you need to know about the Greek behind this is this. It was a word of affection. It was a word of affection. Um, it wasn't just like saying, hey, woman, hey, lady. In, in that culture, this was a word of, of affection. So there was physical healing that took place, but in that moment, and the Bible doesn't say this happened, this is only, this is my commentary to it. I almost see Jesus putting his hands on her face. Somebody who's never been touched before. 
and putting his hands in her face and said, daughter, this, this term of affection, you're beautiful, you're healed, I, I love you. You see, Jesus didn't allow her to remain anonymous. Jesus doesn't let her slip away. I mean, he's walking in the crowd. Imagine, like, because uh, I think that's how Jesus walked. It's like this, you know. He's walking in the crowd. Oh, somebody just touched me and I healed him. Let's continue on. You know, he doesn't do that. He stops the parade. Why? To show off his power? No, he had no need to show off his power. I think he stops the parade to show her her value. To show her that I came to seek and save those who are lost. I came to love the world. I came to say, I love you. And in doing so, he meets her deepest needs. I care about you. I want you to belong. And go in peace. Shalom. We talked about that last week. Shalom. Be whole. Be healed. Have a life of, of meaning. See, Christmas is when God touches humanity and love ensues. And I want to ask you a question. This is just for you. Have you allowed yourself to be interrupted by God's love? I mean, have you allowed yourself not just to hear about God's love at a poetic platitude level, but have you allowed yourself to be interrupted by God's love that begins to change you from the inside out? That all of a sudden, your character isn't on display anymore. There's something new about you, something different about you, something fresh. All of a sudden, you're more loving. You think more loving thoughts. You respond in a more loving way. You've been interrupted by God. And if that hasn't happened to you, here's my guess. Just my guess. My guess is that you are so committed to your own plans that you've got a plan for your life and you don't want God to interrupt that plan. Now that plan might include coming to church on Sunday. That plan might even be going to a life group and, and giving. But you've got a plan for your life and you don't want God to interrupt it. And can I tell you, when he interrupts your plans... And that love infuses you, you know. Okay, you know. My story is, I was interrupted by God. I had plans. And here's what's different about my plans. My plans even included God. I had a, I had a God plan from about 16, 15, somewhere in my teens when I first put my faith in Jesus for about 10 years. Until my mid-20s. I had a plan. And those plans included God. I was going to go into the ministry. I went to four years of Bible college. I went to three years of graduate school where I studied the Bible in Hebrew and in Greek and all the cultural tech context of the scriptures and history and all that stuff. I had a plan. See, here's what I had. I actually had a working knowledge of love. That's the way to say it. I had a working knowledge of love. I had an intellectual degree in, in love. And then one Christmas season, the birth of a baby wrecked me. It wasn't the baby Jesus. It was the baby Tori. It's December 15th, 19... 
88. God interrupted my plans. See, prior to having kids, I, um, I just didn't think about them all that much. It wasn't like I hated them. I, you know, I had, just, I had just met them before. And so I, I remember being newly married, and my wife and I are at some friend's house, and they had a baby, and they sat me next to the baby. And this baby, then they gave him, I don't even remember what the food was, but it was like yam o nasty. I mean, it was just something like soft, and the kid was squeezing it, and as he's squeezing it, the yam is shooting out all over the place, and he's looking at it and talking. And my wife, what was weird, she knew exactly what he was saying. And she'd talk to him back, and then, you know, he'd look at me, and I'd give him a look like, don't even come close to me, okay? I will drop kick you, okay? And it's just, then all of a sudden, I'm eating my steak, and it's like, you've seen babies before. They, they just get scared, and he, for some reason, just got scared, and he takes the yams, and he jams them in his ears. So now I'm eating my meal, and yams are coming out of this kid's face, and, and I am so grossed out, and I'm not saying anything. Then the parents give him jello. <laughs> Adults can't even eat jello, okay? And then he's, and he's talking to the jello, and again, he turns to me, and I was like, I will never forget that night, because in the car, we're driving home, and, you know, my wife is wiping food stains from her clothes, and, and I said, babe, I'm not sure I ever want to have children. And she laughed. Bam. Fast forward a few years. We're at Hogue Hospital. There's four of us. Me, my wife, the doctor, and the nurse. Boom. Now there's five. I freaked out. <laughs> totally freaked out. I ran out of the room to call my wife and tell her what had happened. Uh, but she wasn't home. So, you know. Uh, and in that, in that moment, right, right there, God... God so interrupted my working knowledge of love that there was this, there was like there was this depth of love in my soul that had been compressed and hidden. There was this chamber in my heart that was just pushed down. And then the doctor said, do you want to hold her? And I said, no. <laughs> she looks slippery, okay? And if you've never been in that room before, if you just imagine a, a hairless weasel filled with Vaseline, okay? That's kind of what it, it looked like. And, and so I am like, I'm, I'm holding E.T., basically. And, and as I, I'm holding E.T., and I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, it was like God... And however he interrupted my soul, he reached in and he said, Doug, you've been pretending. You've been performing. You've been posturing. You've been, you've been thinking about love. But this is love. And the love that you feel for this little baby, you times it by infinity and that's how much more I love you. Love went from poetic to personal. And my life has never been the same. But that's what it took. And it was like 10 years into my spiritual journey. And at that moment, I can honestly say, 
I had no wants. I had no wants. I, I felt whole. I felt complete. I felt loved. And if you've been avoiding an interruption from God, can I just encourage you this Christmas season to open yourself up to what God's love can do in and through your life? And then when you have, those of us in here, you have experienced God's love for you, can I then challenge you to express it for others? This is not the time when love goes into hiding when you've experienced God's love for yourself. That's not the time it goes into hiding. Remember what I said earlier? We live in a love-starved world. And that means that we have the opportunity to feed others through our unique expressions of love. This is not just good coaching from Doug. I stole this from Jesus. Here's what Jesus said, John 13. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, and you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Some translations say followers. Okay? Your love will prove it. See, when you express love to others, it meets that deepest need of having meaning. Right? Want to be loved, want to belong, want to have meaning. When you love others, that meets the need of, of meaning. We live in a love-starved world that needs a love-starved army of people who have been infused by God's love to go out into the world and love the way he's called us to love. Now, you're going to say, who am I to do that? And I get that. I get that. I will admit to you, I live with self-doubt all the time. When I think about I want a life of meaning, but then I also think about who am I to teach the Bible to hundreds and hundreds of really good, good people? What do I have to offer? And I can go to a dark place of self-doubt and self-lies very quickly. I mean, I just, who am I? I don't, what can a guy like me possibly offer, you know, other than being eye candy? You know what, I mean, what... Why is that funny? Okay. So this, I get it. Live in the doubt for a little bit. And then realize, go back to the love. That Christmas is God's way of saying, I love you. One end of the bookend. The death and resurrection is God proved his love for us. I love you. And live in that. So what would it look like for you to step in the direction of love this season? To love your neighbors. To love strangers. To love coworkers. To love your enemies. To love those who are misfortuned. To love those who are wounded. What does it look like for you to step in that direction? I put in your notes just a little phrase. I just like this. Here's what love is. You find a need and meet it. That's love. Okay? You're surrounded by people with needs. Touch that need. Risk. Don't live those self-lies. Get close to that need. Extend yourself. And as you do, take a step knowing that God is crazy about you. And that he loves you as if there's only one to love. Because as Jeff talked about last week, you're worth it. Okay? You're worth it. So what were those words to Je that Jesus said to the woman? Let me repeat those words to you. Daughter, a term of affection. Son, a term of affection. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. May your, your suffering of feeling unloved, feeling inadequate, feeling not worthy, it's, it's over. You are worth it. See, as a child, my parents didn't give me a Christmas name. 
But when I put my faith in Jesus, he gave me not only a new identity, but he gave me a new name. And that name is Beloved. And that's, that's your spiritual name as well. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're Beloved. And the interruption of Christmas made all that possible. Christmas isn't a holiday. It's, it's an opportunity for us to celebrate differently. Jesus, may we be different people because we were here today. We pray that through the power of your spirit that we might understand the depth of your love. I pray for those in here who have not yet experienced an interruption from you. That you would free them from the fallacy of their own plans and interrupt them with the depth of your love. I pray for those in here who have experienced an interruption of your love. May we be bold enough to risk loving others. The new commandment you've given us, that we might love others and prove that we are your followers. We pray that this would be a different season for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And guys, I know we're going over a little time here, but this is a good, this has been a good morning. Why don't we stand up together and we'll just worship just a little bit here. And we want to always make sure that